I am excited to be here with you. Um, as Dylan, if you came in a little bit late and you missed Dylan and I talking, uh, I'm Josh Wilson. I am the lead pastor at Storyline Church in St. Louis, one of your partner churches um, that's planting here in the Midwest. And so um, known Dylan and Catherine since our seminary days, um, some of our favorite people, and I would regret leaving without saying that you have one of the best pastors in the entire country. Love Tim and Catherine to death. Um, look up to him. Yeah, absolutely. He's worth clapping for. Uh, such humble, humble couple and family. Love Jesus with all of their being and will do anything that they can to see the gospel get out. So grateful for them. And I love you all too. So the last time I got to come and gather on a Sunday with you, where you're still at the BCM or BSM or whatever it's, whatever it's called, the BSM. Um, so a lot different. This is awesome. Glad to be here with you. So thank you for allowing me to come spend time with you. Um, and I almost begged Dylan to let me come and hang out with you all for a Sunday just because I wanted to come and say thank you. You all have been such a tremendous support to us as we've been trying to plant a church in St. Louis, a post-Christian city that is very, very challenging and difficult to reach, and we have felt the love and support and prayer from you all. So I just wanted to come for this sole purpose of just to be able to look you in the eye and say thank you. Um, you are, what we are doing is an extension of what God is doing here at Sojourn Enid. And so we're grateful. Um, we could not be doing what we are doing without you. And so I'm most excited to get into the Bible and wrestle with God's text with you this morning, all right? So I'm gonna pray for us, then we're gonna dive in, amen? Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray right now that you would be here with us. We are the people that gather in the name of Jesus. We are the people that you have come and made your home in our hearts. You are the one that you say whenever we as your people gather in that name of Jesus, that have this God who lives with inside of us, that when we gather, you're here. And so we just simply ask that we wouldn't leave without opening up your Bible and hearing a word from you, one of the primary means that you communicate to us, and that we would feel encouraged and that we would be filled up, not with the things that, of this world, but the things that actually last and matter, the things that are going to take us out through this week, and that are going to sustain us and keep us going on. And so we pray that the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God would just be all over our, our lives and our hearts by the time that we leave this place. And we pray that you would do all these things by us simply coming, humbly placing our hearts before you, and declaring that we need you, and that we want to hear from you. So Father, would you come? Jesus, would you speak, and Holy Spirit, would you move? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so oftentimes whenever you think about books, I love books. Dylan loves books. I know your other pastors love books. So um, oftentimes when you think of a book or you see a cover of a book, you think of a theme, right? So whenever you think of The Great Gatsby, I uh, first read that when I was in high school, and then later watched the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, maybe that's exactly what you think is Amazing Suits and Leonardo DiCaprio. That's great. Uh, but if you read the book, the theme is the American dream, right? You think about the American dream, you have the war between old money and new money, and you have all these American dreams, these large desires and hopes. I'm about to took out the mic. Um, 
you think about that. You also think about Harry Potter, right? You think about Harry Potter, you think how awkward teenage years are. If you watch the movies, that's one of the themes that you probably think of. But the other, the other theme that you think about is friendship. Deep friendship that you see throughout the book. You think about Orwell's 1984, and you think about invasing, invading your privacy, right? Or human rights. You think about these different themes that pop up within these books, but you can also do the same thing with books of the Bible. As you look throughout the Bible and you read throughout the different books of the Bible, there's always certain themes that are just ingrained into these certain books. You think about Paul and he's writing to these different churches. He has themes that he's trying to get across through his writings to these people that he's writing to. And one of the particular themes that you see throughout Paul's letter in Philippians is the theme of partnership. You see this multiple occasions throughout the entire letter, and it opens up in 1-7. You are all partners with me in grace. You look later into the, the letter, you see, yes, and I also ask you, true partner, partner likely, being the person that's carrying or receiving the letter, but it's taking to this letter to other partners with gospel, in the gospel with Paul as well. You see, at the, just a few verses later, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. He's speaking of financial commitments that they have fulfilled, and as well as their prayers for Paul as he's been in challenging situations as he takes the gospel to people that don't know Jesus. But you see this most robustly in the first couple of verses of chapter one, where he says this, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here's what I want us to just do this morning. I want us to spend time just exploring this theme of partnership together in this first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Philippians. I want us to do this not just because I want us to think about the partnership between a sojourn Enid and Storyline Church in St. Louis, but I want to wrestle with this because I believe it's God's vision for his church. God's vision for his church is that you have people that have been called out of darkness and into the light, that they've been transferred from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life, and you gather together in a very particular place in a local body, and what you do is you partner together. You partner together in life, you partner together in the gospel, you partner together in evangelism, you partner in every sphere of life whenever you're called out of that darkness into the life of Christ, you now are called into a place of partnership, but it's not just within your own local church, you are also called to partner with other churches as well. Here's a challenge for you, all right? If you were to go and try to look throughout the whole entire New Testament, if you were to try to find one healthy church that wasn't partnering with another church, then come and talk to me and I'll give you a large sum of money, all right? Because here's the spoiler alert, there's not a church in the New Testament that is healthy that isn't partnering with other churches. It's God's vision for his church and it's God's vision for his people. And if that's the case, then it's worth us wrestling with as we think about what life within the body of Christ looks like. So here's what I want to do. I just want to look at Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11 with you this morning. And I want to wrestle with two aspects of partnership that I think you see within this passage. And then I want us to just dream. Visualize. Just 
let our minds kind of wonder of what this partnership with each other and then other churches can look like, all right? So here's the first aspect that we see. We find it in verses 3 through 7. I spill the beans in kind of telling you what my points are. So here it is. If you're a note-taking person, here's the first point. Getting the gospel out. The first aspect of partnering that we see in Philippians chapter 1 is people partnering together to get the gospel out. Let me reread 3 through 7 so we can kind of wrestle with it a little bit. So here's what Paul says. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. You just feel this emotional attachment that Paul has to these people in Philippi, don't you? Like, you don't pray about somebody, pray for somebody that you don't care about. But Paul says that he's praying for them always, that they, he always has them in remembrance in his mind because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's almost like this confidence, not only in what Jesus is going to do, but also their faithfulness to Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So you can see clearly with the affection and intimacy that Paul writes to this Philipp, the Philippian church, that they're dear partners with Paul. If you look closely here, you'll see that they sacrifice greatly for this partnership, specifically in a couple of ways. One is their resources, as well as their own personal security. All right, here's where I'm kind of getting this. So you see uh, that Paul writes your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's speaking of financial gifts here. If you look throughout Paul's letter, you actually find that they're the only church that he actually receives and welcomes money from, and it's because of how devoted they were to Paul. Paul would regularly go and do a tent-making ministry so that he would not be a burden to other churches, but what we see within the Philippian church is they love Paul so deeply that they, and they weren't a rich church, but they wanted and they believed in Paul and they loved him so deeply that they had to give him financial resources for the things that he was doing. They're deep friends of Paul and the work that he was doing. You also see that he, Paul writes, partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, in trusting in Jesus, they declared Jesus as Lord, which means they claimed him as king. And this was an act of treason. Philippi is in the Roman Empire, and Caesar alone is to be king, and he alone is to be worshipped. And so whenever Philippi, this church in Philippi, declares Jesus as king of their life, declares him as Lord, and they give him and him alone worship, they are actually committing an act of treason. And why this is so important is because Philippi is a very strategic city within the Roman Empire. It's a very prideful city. So one, it's a strategic city. So most of the trade that happened throughout the Roman Empire came through Philippi. It was a very strategic city. They had all the trade going through this city. So you had people from the actual Rome and other strategic cities constantly making their way through Philippi. But it was also the setting place where many soldiers had settled, Roman soldiers had settled their families and their lives 
in this particular city because there was a historic battle that took place within this city. All right, so you have Roman architecture that's just everywhere. You have Roman worship that's taking place everywhere. You have very important people within the Roman Empire that are all in the city of Philippi. And you have this this church that just breaks out and they are this alternate community that is declaring that there is a different king that they've submitted their lives to. And not not only are they not going to view Caesar as king, but they're also not going to give him their worship. And this is where you see all of the deaths of Christians stem from because they have this alternate king and a person that they worship alternately from the Caesar of the Roman Empire, and they're in the hotbed of one of the most prideful Roman cities in all the empire. And so you have to ask the question, why? Why are they so committed to this partnership, and why are they so committed to this gospel? Why are they so committed to Paul giving him resources, but also committed to getting this gospel to other people? Why? Why is that such a big thing to them? Well, you have to go back and you have to read chapter Acts chapter 16 to see some of the conversions that took place that started and birthed this church in Philippi. Let me give you just three stories, all right? So you have this Paul and Silas come into Philippi, and as they're coming into Philippi, they meet this lady, Lydia. She's down by a river. She is this seamstress. She's this person that is a wealthy designer within the Philippi community. And as Paul and Saul come, Silas come down, they uh, share the gospel with them. We see Lydia and her household come to faith. They immediately want to go get baptized. Then you see later in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas are walking around and there's this demon-possessed woman that is actually a fortune teller. She can tell you like your fortune, she can tell you your future, and she has this man that is, uh, is um, overseeing her, exploiting her for the, these abilities that the demon possession is causing within her. Paul looks at her and casts the demon out and is what leads him to being thrown into prison while he's in Philippi. Then while Paul and Silas are in Philippi, they start singing. There's an earthquake that happens. The gates come wide open, and then Paul and Silas are still there. The jailer's about to kill himself, and then Paul and Silas call out for him to preserve his life. They end up going back to the jailer's house. They lead him to faith, and you also see his family come to faith as well. And so you have these insane conversion stories that take place in this city, Philippi. Just wild stories. Paul just walking down, and then you see this wealthy designer give her life and faith to Jesus. You see this woman that's been exploited because of the demon possession. They don't want to help her get well, but they take advantage of her being not well. And then you see this jailer that's about to kill himself, and he gives his life to Jesus. You see all this. They serve dictators in their life. You have someone that's over them, that's exploiting them, And then Paul comes and preaches this good news of Jesus that saves them from this exploitation and these dictators that are over them. And then they now want to, they get this different view of life where they get to live under the 
king of the universe, this Jesus, that doesn't want them or wants to use them, but he actually loves them and he's done everything that he could possibly do for them in order to draw them back into a relationship with him. And so look, if you see, if you think about these people and what they were, their life was like before Jesus and then what their life was like after Jesus and the freedom that came to them in Jesus, they have to think, we have to get this gospel out. This gospel that has changed my life, this gospel that I was once a servant and life was hard and life was not working and life was, seemed to just be this mundane, dull thing and it didn't seem to have a purpose or a vision or a way forward. And then I get this gospel that Paul comes and preaches to me about and it changes everything and I feel so liberated. And not only do I have hope in this life now, but it also tells me that I have an eternity that I get to go spend with this Jesus forever. We have to get this gospel out. People have to hear this message. And so they look at Paul and this one that brought them the message and they're like, we're going to give you whatever you need. Whatever you need to take this message that we heard from you to other people that have not heard it yet, do it. What we have is yours. That's what's taking place in the city of Philippi. And look, this should be our response too. Here's the thing. A lot of us may read Acts chapter 16, and then you may think about your life and how Jesus came to save you, and be like, my story's not like that. I grew up in a, a family that knew Jesus. My parents shared the gospel with me. I grew up in a, a place, in a city, part of the country where a lot of people is just a thing that you go to church. So I don't feel like I have this big, massive conversion story. But look, that's not what the Bible says about your story. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that sin had us dead. And look, death does not show partiality. If you're dead, you're dead. And that's the fact for every single one of us that are sitting in these seats now. The effects of your sin was that you are eternally dead. Like, you take the pulse, no pulse. You check the, the temperature of the body, dead cold. But the good news of the gospel is that when you heard this faith and you believed in Jesus, not anything that you could bring to Jesus, not anything that you could bring to God and saying, look what I've done for you, you have to accept me. What we see in the Bible is that's not anywhere in the gospel. What happens in the gospel is that you have a God who came down from heaven, put himself in our human flesh, walked the life that you and I were supposed to live, then died our death on that cross, and then gave us everything. His perfect righteousness is now ours. So look, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like you have this winsome story. What happened is you came from dead to life, which means you have a conversion story that matters. And that means that you were going to hell, but now you're going to life. That you were dead, but now you're alive. And so what we look, when we look at the gospel, we see our story, and it's that we were dead, but now we are the people alive, and we have to get that gospel out. And how you do it? By partnering together. You have a people that are a part of a local body that have committed to one another that they see the lostness in their city and they say, not here. We love our neighbors too much. 
We love our coworkers too much. We love those that are the marginalized people in our society too much. And we're going to do everything we can, look, together to get this gospel out. Because it doesn't just affect their life here. It affects their life for all eternity. And then we get a bigger picture. I don't just want this for Enid. I don't just want this for my neighborhood. I don't just want this for my school. I don't just want this for my workplace. I want it to go everywhere. It's the Great Commission. We take the gospel to the ends of the earth. How do you do that? You do it in partnership with other churches. Whether it's sending out some of your own to start a new church, a new work somewhere, or partnering with other churches that are being started in other places that need support. You can't plant the church on your own. It has to be done in partnership with other people that you step in. And you say, this gospel's too good to not get out. It's changing our life, changed your life personally. It's changed your life as a church. God willing, it's changing our cities. And it's going to be the hope of our world. What do you do? You partner to get it out. So that's the first aspect that you see of partnership in Philippians chapter 1. The second one is this, that not only do you want to get the gospel out, you want to get the gospel down deep. You want to get the gospel down deep. Here's where we see this in verses 8 through 11. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, listen to this prayer, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the first verses here in chapter 1, you see of the love and affection that the Philippians have towards Paul. And then in these latter verses, we see Paul's commitment to the Philippians. He says, above all else, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. This love that you have for one another, this love that you have for Jesus I pray that it would keep growing. And you see a sequence to Paul's prayer that really shows us the second aspect of partnership of getting this gospel down deep. So here's what he's doing, all right? He prays that their love would keep on growing, and he asks for two specific things, in their knowledge as well as their discernment. I want you to know this gospel, and then I want it to affect the way that you make decisions here in this life. So basically... This growth is an understanding and a practice of the gospel. Paul is essentially saying, do the hard work of learning your Bible. This is what Paul is doing. I want you to know the scriptures. How do we know the good news of Jesus? How does God, what is one, one of God's primary means of speaking to us today? It's through his written word. The Bible tells us that it's alive, that it's active that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so what do we, as the people of God, do that have been invited into this relationship with him, that he's done everything for us? We get into the Bible because we want to know our God. We get into the scriptures because we want to know the truth of what we believe and have it affect not only our minds, which God tells us to know us with all of his being, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, 
meaning like everything, including your mind, you need to know what you believe, but also that it affects our doing. The practice of making decisions and how we live in this life, he wants all of it to be affected so you can choose things that really matter in this life because you know of this truth, but then you can live this life the way that God intended it to be lived in partnership and relationship with him. All this happens because we grow in our knowledge and our discernment of knowing the truth of the Bible. But then there's a final sequence to this, this growing and understanding and practice of the gospel, is that you are filled with the fruit of righteousness. What is that? What's the fruit of righteousness? Well, I don't think it's any different than what you see in Galatians chapter 5 when you get the fruit of the Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What Paul is saying is, look, I want you to know your Bible so deeply that it's in your head and it's in your heart. I want it to take deep root in your life. I want it to affect the decisions that you make. But then I also want it to affect your character. It's okay that you're not okay when you step into a relationship with Jesus, but it's not okay that you stay there. What Paul has for us as the kingdom of God, the people that are part of his kingdom, is that we become more and more like this Jesus that has invited us into relationship with him. And so what Paul is saying is like, look, I want this to affect your being. Your identity now is the son and daughter of God. You have the DNA of the king of the universe now deep in your life. And I want that to change you. And the good news is that it will slowly, progressively over time that this gospel that we believe, that we grow in our knowledge and our understanding and it affects our practice, it's also going to change our character. And then out of the overflow, look, what happens is it affects our community too. It affects the way that we relate, the way that we have people into our homes, how we deal with our anger, the way that we deal with others whenever they have wronged us. We're the people that are the people of reconciliation. That we step in, we have conversations, we've been given such a great forgiveness that who in the world would we be that if we could not extend that forgiveness to other people as well? This is getting the gospel deep down. This is what Paul's vision is for us, that as we partner together, that you're partnering together in order to get this gospel deep down. The thing about this is that you cannot get the gospel deep down by yourself. It requires partnership. It requires that you're getting into one another's lives in order to help each other grow into that likeness of Jesus. We see this in Ephesians 4:16. He says this, from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Have you ever wondered what God's vision is for your life? What does he want me to do? What is he these gifts and these abilities that he's given me? Here's what he wants you to do is he wants you to use those up, use those gifts and use your life to build others up in the gospel. Essentially, he wants you to use your life and your skills and your abilities for the people in this room to help get the gospel deep down inside of them. 
That's why we have places in our churches called home groups, life groups. I, I think it's home groups. Is that right? You have home groups, right? What are you doing? You're getting into each other's lives. You're making a commitment to a people on a personal level that you're going to get into each other's homes and you're going to take this word and you're going to wrestle with it together and that you're also going to be transparent about your lives. You're going to be open about your struggles and you're going to share it with other people and then the abilities and gifts that they, God has gifted with them is they're going to speak into your life and they're going to help give you a vision for what it looks like to live in faithfulness to Jesus and you're partnering together to get this gospel that has already saved you deeper and deeper down into your life so that you look more like Jesus. That's the vision of home groups. That's the vision for community and the life of Christ. And it requires partnership. You cannot find a mature Christian that just has a holy little huddle that's over in the corner trying to read and study and learn the Bible because here's the thing, you can't deal with your sin in isolation. It requires partnership. So I didn't, I'm not like being asked to say this. If you're not in a home group, go get in a home group. Go get in a home group. Make a commitment to a people and then open up your life so that you can see this gospel get deep down inside of you. Because listen, it cannot happen without partnership. You need other people. And look, they need you too. So here's what this looks like. It's dedication and commitment. All right? This means that you take your walk with Jesus seriously and then that you take other people's walk with Jesus seriously. C.S. Lewis gives a really, or not C.S. Lewis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer gives a very great picture of this where he says the way that we are going to be most usable for the community of faith that God has placed us in is whenever we get alone with Jesus so that we can be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and learn what Jesus is doing in our life through his scriptures. And then you come into community, and you share these things that God's doing in your life with other people. And then look, they're doing the same thing. So you're coming to community with these things that God has been teaching you in your own personal devotion. And usually what happens is God uses that to speak into other people's lives. And look, as other people are doing that too, as they're coming and they're getting, they're wrestling with Jesus and they're in God's word and they're praying with him and they come and speak to you about the stuff that's happening in their life, then what happens is they are the mouthpiece of God in your life as well. And that's what happens in your home group. So look, you need to be dedicated to spending time with Jesus personally, but then whenever you come to that group, be generous with the things that God is speaking to you about so that other people can speak the same thing into you as well. That's how this life transformation thing works. That's why community is so essential for us, and it's why your personal relationship is also so important for other people too. Because we want to get the gospel deep down. And we need to be committed and dedicated to doing the same as well. So look, whenever you go to home group, show up, come ready. Like, come ready to share. Like, here's what, here's the, like, some of the groups that I've, some of the best groups I've been a part of are the ones where people, you can tell that they've thought about things that are, that are going to be discussed before they show up to home group. They've thought through it. They've wrestled with stuff in their own life. 
And whenever they come, they're ready to talk. They're ready to invite people to speak in. They know their flaws. They know the sins that they've been struggling with. They're ready to come and share them so that other people can then step in and speak in in their life. And look, that's what is needed to make your home groups feel so essential and for you to be dedicated and committed to those people that are in that group. So come, come ready. And be consistent whenever you show up. All right, so look, um, the two aspects that we see of partnership are getting the gospel out and then getting the gospel down deep. So I want to just wrestle with, like, how do we have a vision for how we do this as a church? I have two kind of application points for us. All right, here it is. First one is that you fall in love with the gospel. Look, the way that you get the gospel out and the way that you get the gospel down deep is not that you're a church that is committed to evangelism strategies or is really committed to discipleship curriculum. It's that you're a church that's fallen head over heels in love with the good news of the gospel. That's how we get the gospel out and that's how we get the gospel down deep is we fall in love with the gospel. Here's what, this is a, a quote from a French poet that I think is just tremendous. He says, if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. If you want to get the gospel out and you want to get the gospel deep down, it's not through the different strategies of evangelism. It's not through the discipleship curriculum. It's that you fall deeply in love with Jesus and his kingdom. You fall deeply in love with the gospel. One of um, a pastor that's meant a lot to me, he puts it like this. The gospel is not just the diving board, it's the pool that we swim in. The gospel is not just the thing that gets you into the kingdom. Whenever you become a Christian, it's the whole entire pool that we swim in now. The beauty of the gospel is like a, a, a minefield, like, or not a, 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 like a gold mine, right? So you go into a mine. You don't just go and try to extract the gold that's at the very beginning crevices of it. And you go down into the depths of this mine in order to extract all the riches and beauty and wealth out of it that you possibly can. Look, that's the gospel. It's an endless mine. You can never mature past the gospel and try to get to other things in the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It's the pool that you swim in. The grace that you tasted at coming to know Jesus is the same grace that's going to sustain you throughout the whole entire walk with Jesus. And it's going to be the very grace that brings you into life with Jesus whenever you meet him face to face. So look. We fall in love with the gospel. That's how we get the gospel out and we get it down deep as we grow endlessly in love with Jesus and his good news. This good news that God so loved us that he gave up the greatest sacrifice that he could ever give in sending his own son, Jesus. And then he laid down his life so that we could get all of his perfectness and he gets all of our sinfulness. When we get so endlessly in love with this, then we will start to get the gospel out and it will also begin to get deep down inside of us. So look, memorize it. Memorize the gospel. Read books about it. Memorize passages from the scriptures. Pray it. Sing songs. You, we sang many of them here this morning. Like, let these be the themes that are running through your head and through your life on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. Let it just consume you. 
Let it overwhelm you. Let it be the thing that you eat and sleep and breathe, this gospel of Jesus and everything that he's done for you. Saturate, saturate yourself with this message. And as we do this, when this becomes the center of our partnerships with one another, as well as our churches, we'll get a gospel out and we'll get it down deep. And then secondly, is invest your life to the mission of the gospel. So look, this isn't just a Sojourn Enid thing. This isn't just a storyline thing. This is a big C church thing. Every church, this is the very purpose for what they are to do. It's the mission of every single church. Jesus' last words are Matthew 28, 18 and Acts 1, 8. That you take this gospel to the ends of the earth. That you see disciples made of every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. This is what we do. This is like this is what we do as the people. And when we stop doing it, we cease being the very thing that God saved us to be. C.S. Lewis puts it like this: The church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christ. And if they are doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. So look, everyone wants to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. That's why we have parades. That's why we have flags that are flying in front of our homes. That's why you have bands that sing these loud music and you have followings that follow them. This is why some of us get really into politics. Every one of us wants to be a part of something bigger. Why not devote yourself to the thing that, can, that is going to last for all of eternity and not just waste away after we pass away? So look, some of you, that means you need to go. Some of you, that means that God is placing and burdening a particular place in your life, and he's calling you to go. Some of you, that's like across your street, that's across the cubicle. Some of, that, some of you, that may mean that you're like selling your homes and quitting your jobs and doing what a lot of the people that came with us to start Storyline did and going somewhere to be a part of the advancement of God's mission. Some of you, the call is to stay here, but he's given you resources that you can be like the Philippian church and you can resource the sending. Some of you, it just means that he's calling you to a very dedicated life of prayer for particular people groups. But here's the thing, not, there's not a single person that's going to walk out this door that the call isn't for you to step in in some way. requires partnership so we started off um i'm gonna start to wrap up and conclude here for us all right so um we began by like listing off some themes with very well-known books and one of my favorite books that has sort of a theme of partnership is a book called the boys in the boat so this is a book about the american rowing team that went over to berlin in 1936 and won the gold medal and so what this book does is it chronicles the lives of these nine boys. So they're like 18 years old. So they're, they're boys, right? Um, chronicles the nine lives of these boys that are putting into their journals just the life experiences that they're experiencing over there. And there's nothing special about any of these, these boys. Like some of them are loggers. Some of them are farmers. None of them have like this extravagant history from which they come from. Um, but you chronicle all these pieces together and you just get this remarkable story of these guys and what they were able to accomplish. But I love the way that the author summarizes the whole of this story 
So here's what he says, the author is Daniel James Brown. He says this, perhaps the seeds of redemption lay not just in perseverance, hard work, and rugged individualism, which are some of the things that you see spurred from their chronicles, from the journals and things of each of these nine lives. But he says this, perhaps they lay in something more fundamental, the simple notion of everyone pitching in and pulling together. To summarize that, it's partnership. God's given us a big vision for his church. It's the great commission, getting the gospel out and getting the gospel down deep. And it's worth investing and giving your life for it. Here's the good news, all right? You're doing it. So you're needed, like this is you, you are this church. I'm standing proof of it. I, I hear the stories from Dylan and some of your pastors about things that are happening in your home groups and just the way that God is using you here in Enid, as well as like making the gospel go to the nations, whether it be in St. Louis or over the seas, like you're doing this. So here's what I'm just simply asking you to do. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep going. Keep pushing forward. Fall endlessly in love with the gospel. Commit your life to the mission of that gospel. Be a church that just sacrifices anything and everything to get the gospel out and get the gospel down deep. You're doing it, so keep running the good race. You're a blessing. You are. You are a blessing to me, to my people, as well as other pastors throughout the United States and to the ends of the earth. Keep going. Keep doing it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, it is so encouraging um, to hear from our partners. I'm so thankful for Josh and his heart for you and his understanding of the scripture, <clears throat> the importance he places on the gospel, how he leads his church, Lord. It has just been a blessing and a joy and a privilege, Lord, to partner with Storyline and to stay updated on what you're doing through that church and in the lives of those people. And we just pray that, God, you would continue to work in and through Josh, in and through um, the pastors and, and the people in St. Louis, a storyline, Lord, it, it sounds like there's just such darkness in that city. There's so much opportunity for light to shine, and we just pray, Father, that it would shine. Lord, help us here in Enid, Oklahoma, to fall deeper in love with the gospel. Help us to be disciplined, to stay in your word, and, and to just receive life from it, Lord. God, that our hearts might become so full that they overflow and impact each other that people around us would see that we're different because you've made us that way. Give us strategies, give us motivation, give us resources, Lord, to further the cause of your kingdom, to not just preach the gospel here, but to help others like Josh, like Blaine, plant churches and preach and bring others, Lord, to the point where they understand the truth by your spirit. Lord, my heart is full this morning. I'm encouraged. 
I pray that we would all be encouraged and that, Lord, you would, you would use this to transform us and to challenge us to go deeper and to make your name known. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us respond. Would you please stand?
are sent.